0: I, I um, want to share something with you that um, still plays, still has a, I still have a very vivid picture of it uh, in my memory. It is the very first sermon I ever preached to a congregation. And, uh, and, 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 and the reason it, I was quite nervous because um, I was a student pastor. I was uh, studying at seminary at the stage, and uh, the senior pastor of the church was Michael Eaton. Now, for those of you who know him, he was a world-renowned theologian, Um, and uh, I sort of—I said, "Lord, help me to just get something right today," (laughs) and uh, and and I made it, (laughs) and that's why I'm I'm here today. And I share that this morning because uh, we've got James Pace who's going to be bringing God's word, and so James, you can come up and uh, share with us in a minute. James has has been an an intern at the church, uh, and. uh, has just completed uh, seminary, and uh, it's great to have uh, him having an opportunity to share uh, with us and bring God's Word with us. And we chose this congregation for a very specific reason, because we know that you are the kindest group in the whole church. <laughs> so James, you're going to get lots of compliments when you leave this morning, uh, and, uh, but we, we really seriously are looking forward to, to God's Word. And uh, I think the thing about this morning, and to me, uh, James, and I do want to say this before you preach, because I know you must be nervous, it's obvious, but, but I think the thing for me that's changed a lot has been to remember I'm only the servant, and he's the one who does the work, and so we want to trust that you'll be a good servant this morning as we pray for you. So, so Father, we really want to pray, and we, we remember the, the words that uh, Paul spoke to the Corinthian church. Who is Paul? and who's Apollos, and who's Peter, nobody, only servants of the Most High God. And Father, we at this morning, as, as we pray for James, we realize, Lord, that he, he's wanting to be a faithful servant. We know, Lord, that he's wanting to, to be used by you. And Lord, so we, we want to together pray for him, and James, we pray for you. And we pray that the Lord is going to use you. And despite maybe uh, the weakness that you feel and despite maybe the nervousness that you feel, that the Holy Spirit will still use the words that you speak to impact our lives and to impact our hearts this morning. Lord, we come in humility and submission to you, Father, not to look at the servant, but to look at the God whom we serve. And so, God, will you minister to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you so much, John, for that all welcome and introduction. I really appreciate it. I don't know what I would have done if Michael Eaton was my senior pastor either. Uh, wow, John, um, that's quite hectic. But yeah, good morning, church. Uh, it's re- I'm really, really excited to actually be preaching. Uh, it's my first time preaching at Connect. i preached a couple of times um, in a few other Baptist churches that the seminary sent me around to go preach at now and again. Um, but it's my first time preaching at my home church, and that's really, really special for me. So as John said, my name is james and i've just finished um studying my seminary degree in theology so it's really really exciting i graduate next saturday um with my honors and yeah just trusting it's been an amazing journey that the lord's been been yeah taking me through you guys really are the kindest congregation that's for sure (laughs) so i'm just really excited to be sharing god's word this morning with with all of us As I was preparing and praying into what I would be sharing, uh, I felt quite strongly that the Lord wanted to encourage his church. He wanted to encourage his body. And so that's what I hope is going to happen this morning. I felt like he wanted to encourage us and remind us of his purposes for us as a congregation and as a community. And that was kind of the buzzword that was going around in my heart for the last few weeks is the word community. People have often asked me this question, and so I'd like to start off by just asking us this question. Why do you come to church? You can think about it for a moment. I don't mind silences too much. Think about it for a moment. Why do you come to church? Why do you go to Life People Bible study every week or very regularly? Why are there so many gatherings that we have as a church body? And why do we go? People have often asked me why I go to church as much as I do my dad. I was always frustrated when he had to lift me to church every Sunday morning. And he's not really a churchgoer himself, but he would always have to get up early and lift me. And like every week he'd be like, why do you keep on going to church? Some Christians have even told me that they don't go to church because you don't have to go to church to be a Christian or to be a follower of Jesus. And to be honest, there's been times, there have been times where I've asked myself, why do I go to church? Why am I here every week, in and out, every week, week in and week out? Because I believe sometimes we can forget why we gather. We can get lost in what's going on, and we can forget why we gather every morning, every Sunday morning. In the U.S., this is certainly happening. People don't really know why they're gathering. Um, the Barnard Research Group is a, quite a famous research group. They publish a lot of good articles to read about what's happening with religion in the States. And they did a survey in 2014, and they, and they found that about half of the adults in the, in the U.S. believe that church is important, and the other half believe that it's completely unnecessary and a waste of time. They also found that about 30% of young Christians under the age of about 35 years old believe that church is completely irrelevant for them. Christians, these are not non-believers, these are young Christian people. And about 40% of young adults in the States believe that church is kind of, you know, they're not really sure. They're kind of in between. And so while many people are divided about why we gather so regularly, I think even us here at Connect can forget why, and we can simply go through the motions every week. I know that in ministry, you don't really get a break from church. Um, it's what you do. you pay to come here on a Sunday um, and, to, and to serve. And so uh, even as pastors and as people in ministry, we, we can very easily become susceptible to this. And so I'm preaching as much to myself and to anyone here in ministry as I am to anyone else. And so this morning, we're going to be going back into God's Word, and, and we're going to see, hopefully, what His plan for church is. Why do we gather so much? Why should we not give up meeting together regularly as the writer of Hebrews encourages us? And I'm sharing this this morning because I believe that God has an incredible purpose for why we gather. Whatever may be your purpose that you come here for, God has something amazing and special and profound for us when we gather on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night. That we would not be a club or, or a religious group or a social group, but that we would be the community of Christ on earth. God desires for us to be in community as believers and not to be alone. And so this is what we're going to be looking at this morning. The dictionary defines a community as a, just a group of people who have a, a common interest or a shared attitude. And that's quite a weak definition. I think we can do a little bit better. I have a definition that I'd like us to look at this morning by Ed Stetzer. He says, talking about Christian community, he says, community is the love of God manifesting in and through the people of God. And that was really profound. I found that quote while I was doing my my thesis this year, and it's stuck with me ever since. And so keep that in mind. I believe that this is God's desire for us as a community. And with that in mind, let's look at God's word. Our main body of scripture this morning is going to be Colossians chapter 2. You're welcome to open there if you would like. I'm going to read it in a moment. It's going to be chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. But before we get into the text, and the slide's going to come up in a minute, so you can just take it back for a moment, Craig. Um, Thanks so much. Um, Before we get in, let's just establish what Paul is trying to do here. Why is he writing to this church? Well, we know that he's never met this church before. One of his disciples planted it, but he never met them. And he's writing to them, and he's encouraging them to keep on seeking Jesus as their prize. Because there had been a false teacher who'd come in. And it began to teach that you don't have to worship Jesus as your only God. But there are other ways to be spiritual. And there are other ways to attain spiritual life. And so this teacher had come in and people had begun to, to follow this stuff. And so Paul writes to them and encourages them, keep seeking Jesus. He is supreme above all things. We call Colossians the mini Hebrews because it really is like a mini book of Hebrews where Christ is just exalted to above everything else. And so it's in this context that Paul writes these verses to encourage them. Verses 2 to 4. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Verse 3, the next slide. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And as Paul writes to the church, here's the first thing that I believe that he's saying to them, and I believe to us as well. Number one, be a unified community. Be a unified community. Let's look, a bit, uh, let's look at that a, bit, a little bit closer. In the first part of verse 2, it'll be up on the slide as well, Paul says that they should be encouraged in heart and united in love. This was Paul's aim. This was why he was writing to them. This church was being threatened with false teaching, teaching that would lure them away from having Christ as, as the center of their lives and uh, as the center of their church. But his first instruction is this, church, you need to be encouraged and united in love together as a community. When the church is under threat, I believe we need to pursue being a united community. And brothers and sisters, the church is always under threat. The church is always under attack. And we always need to pursue being encouraged in heart and united in love together. Up until now, Paul has, in this letter, he's encouraged them on how well they were doing. He hasn't rebuked them for anything. He said, you've been doing really well. I'm so glad to hear of your faith. And then he's reminded them that Jesus is greater than anything else that you could ever know or worship. And how he's the highest and greatest person that you could know. And now he's calling them to be a unified community. Well, let's see exactly what he means by being encouraged in hearts and united in love. Can I have the next slide, please? The first word that he uses there is be encouraged. It's actually the same r- word, the, the root word in Greek from this is the same word that we have for the Holy Spirit that Jesus uses in John's gospel. He calls the spirit the parakletos. And yeah, he's using that root word to describe, to encourage one another. It carries the sense of, of having the Holy Spirit as our advocate. But here it's being used as the word comforter and to encourage come alongside and to strengthen. The encourager would come alongside you and strengthen you to keep on following Jesus and would comfort you when you are weak. It's the sense of coming alongside one another to keep on being obedient and to encourage each other to keep on going. And so it's fair to say that Paul is encouraging the church, church, come alongside one another and encourage each other to keep on following Jesus, to keep on putting Jesus as the center of your lives and of your church and of your teaching. Don't do anything else. And it's going to be difficult. But comfort one another, come alongside one another, and strengthen one another. Paul also then uses this phrase in verse 2. and uh, He says, being united in love, as it will also be on the slide. The Greek word here is really beautiful, and it means to be knit together all to, to be welded together into one body. It's like taking strings or wool and making it into one fabric. That's the picture that he's using here. The church here is in danger from false teaching, and Paul encourages them, stick together. Be united in love for one another. the first thing that we need to do the next thing that i believe that he's saying and he goes on to say this he says once we are a unified community something happens in the next part of verse two he says this we know christ better together we've been made to see christ together as a community he's just said he wants him to be united in love and to encourage each other well here's the reason why Because, next slide please, so that, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, Christ. That is the reason he wants them to be unified. This is really profound and it struck me for the first time when I read this a few weeks ago. The reason he wants this church to be united in love and to to encourage each other is because then there will be a church that knows Christ better. We know Christ better when we're together. It seems that God has designed for us um, to be in community and to know him more when we are with each other. We have not been made to grow in isolation, but when we are unified as the people of God, We have this sense of this complete riches and this fullness of the riches of knowing Christ in a way that we don't necessarily have when we're alone. And I believe that when we are united as a church, we help one another to grow spiritually. We have not been made to follow Jesus in isolation, but to follow Jesus as a community who walks alongside one another. I believe this is what Paul is saying here. We know him better together. Jesus himself prayed that this would be the case. He prayed that this would happen in John chapter 17. It will also be up on the slide. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, referring to his disciples, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, knit together, one. Just as you are in me and I am in you. So that, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. Here Jesus prays that his church should be a unified people. Why? Because he and the Father are one. He and the Father are unified together. When we are unified as a community, we reflect Christ better to one another. And I believe when we pray in the, in the Lord's Prayer that his kingdom will come and his will will be done. I believe one of the things we're praying in that is that we'd be unified. Because in heaven there is perfect unity. And there is perfect community in God who is triune in and of himself. So how can we become like this? I got so excited when I read this. I just wanted to know, what can we do? What can we do right now to become a church that is more, more and more like this? I believe the first thing that we can do is to be drawing alongside one another and encouraging one another daily. To keep following Christ, to strengthen one another when we are feeling weak. Are we doing that with each other regularly? Do we have people who draw alongside us and check in on us? And go, how's it going? How are you doing with this struggle? Are we checking on other people ourselves? Because I believe this is God's design and desire for community. God's word also shows us that we as a body have been equipped by the spirit to do this. This is not just something we muster up in and of ourselves, but it's something that God has has given us gifts to do. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sure we all know it. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That only happens when we're together. It only happens when we meet regularly and when we encourage one another with the gifts that God has given us. This is my prayer for our church. Here Paul shows us that when we use our gifts that God has given us, the church will be built up and will become more mature, more like Jesus. And in verse 16 of that, he says it grows and builds itself up in love. Again, I'll say, community is the love of God manifesting in, and through the people of God. This is God's great plan for church community. How amazing is that that we would build one another up in love to become more like Jesus. That we would know Jesus by spending time with one another. I sincerely believe that knowing God and knowing his people are not so far apart, but that they're intimately linked together. This is why Paul wanted the church to encourage one another, because we are meant to build one another up as God's people. So this morning we've seen two things. Right? We've seen that we need to be a unified community and that we know Christ better when we're together. Now leave us one more thing that Paul's saying in these verses. The third thing is this: The greatest person that you can know is Jesus Christ. The greatest person that you could ever know is Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse three and he says, "In Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom. knowledge and I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments that's the false teachers who come into the church not only should we be united in love not only will we know Christ better when we are united in love but knowing Christ is the worthiest and most greatest thing that you could ever pursue Jesus is the only person worth knowing the false teachers had come into the church and it said, you can follow other gods. You can include other spiritualities and religions in your faith and in the church. It's okay. Christ isn't the only way. This aimed at making Christ seem less valuable and less worthy to God's people. And to put other gods on par with Jesus. And this is why Paul reminds us that Jesus is the only person worth following together. And that being a unified community will protect your community from things like this, from false teachings like this. In an age where good education was very scarce, knowledge was certainly power in the first century church. And false teachers would come in and give off the illusion that they had the secret knowledge that you didn't. And that what they could teach you would make you better, would enrich your life. Because you didn't know what they had. And so people would often follow him, follow them. They would come in and appear spiritual and wise, like these sages. And they would draw people away from knowing Christ. And so Paul says this in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of them. The most worthy knowledge in the whole universe is knowledge of Jesus. And so he says, be united as a church you'll know Christ better when you are. Because if you know Christ better, you have the most wonderful, precious knowledge in the universe. If it's knowledge that you seek, if it's knowledge that you are after, you'll find none greater than in knowing Jesus. As a young person growing up, knowledge has always been so accessible. Information, we're in the information age. And so people Google truth. On a daily basis, if I don't know something, I Google it. It takes me five seconds, and then I know something, and then I think I'm an expert, you know, on cooking, on this meal, or on fixing a mower, whatever it might be. Knowledge is so accessible. And it's also dangerous. Because we need to still be seeking to know Christ more above all of that. And we can't just think that we're experts in something or or that we learn truth from Google because Christ and in Christ is the highest and greatest truth we could ever know. Amen. So this morning we've seen what Paul had to say to this church in these verses. He calls them to be unified as a community. He says you will know Christ better when you're together and that Jesus is the greatest person that you could ever know. And that's all from that passage, that I believe, that we, we, we needed to hear. And there's one fourth thing that I'd like to add this morning to encourage us. And it isn't from Colossians, but it's from the heart cry of Jesus himself. John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples. If you love one another. The fourth thing I'd like us to know this morning is that when we are united as a community, the world will know more about Jesus. The world will know more about Jesus. In this passage in John, Jesus is saying farewell to his disciples before he goes to the cross. He's been with them for three years, and now he says he's going where they can't come, and they don't understand why. And in his last words to them, in his last discourse we call it, Of those precious last words, he says, be sure to love one another just as I've loved you. This is Jesus' last words to his disciples before he goes to the cross, and they're so precious. He even repeats this in his prayer in John chapter 17. He says, my prayer, and we looked at it already, my prayer is that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Here, Jesus' plan was not just that the believers themselves would be blessed at, together as a community, but that this loving, unified community would go on and show the world that Jesus really did live and die for them. Godly community displays Jesus Christ to the world. Amen. This is actually how I came to know the Lord in this church. I became a Christian. I followed Jesus about seven and a half years ago now, 2012. I'm sure it feels like the other day to some of you. It feels like a long time to me because so much has changed. Um, So I wanted to share a little bit of my testimony and how community has impacted me for Christ uh, and how community brought me to knowing Jesus. And I grew up in a family um, that didn't really go to church. I was a perfect boy. I lived in and around here most of my life. And I grew up in a family that didn't really go to church or follow Jesus. And so I grew up not really sure about what I believed about God. I think I believed that he was real. But I certainly didn't want to give time to go to church. I'd much rather have been fishing on Sundays. I'll never forget one day telling one of my friends, I will never go to church. Because it means that I have to, can't go fishing on Sundays anymore. I remember saying that vividly. That One friend confronted me a few years ago and said, James, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, I found Jesus. As I grew up, I went to Sweet Valley for a few years and then to Wame Boys High up the road. And I began to struggle with some really deep personal brokenness. As I'm sure we all know, that we, we all have our own brokenness and our personal struggles as we've been growing up. And when I was about 15, I began to sink into a bit of a depression. I had been trying for years to fill this hole inside of me This need that I had, I idolized friendships, I idolized relationships and popularity, and being liked by people, and I'd become completely enslaved to people. If a friend rejected me, I didn't know what to do, the world would have ended for me. I desperately sought to have friends who would fill my need for acceptance. And all of this led only to me feeling more and more rejected and needy over years. But one day, a friend of mine, who actually doesn't go to church anymore, he invited me here. In fact, I think it was his mom. His mom dragged me to church one morning with him, kicking and screaming pretty much. And I walked into youth church across the road at at number 18. And I'll never forget that day. I walked in there not knowing anybody, but the leaders who were there loved me and accepted me. And I didn't know what to do about that. I had no framework. I'd always had to earn love and respect from people, and I'd always tried so hard to be loved. But I walked in there, and they just gave it for free. Sorry. I couldn't believe it. They loved God so much. I think I cried my first sermon. It's okay they loved God so much and they loved me unconditionally and this completely turned my world upside down they welcomed me into their family and into their community and after a few months I kept going I didn't know why I just knew I had to be around these people and I couldn't not go Um, I probably went to church more than most church members did even though I wasn't a follower of Jesus yet Um, I just knew I had to have whatever they had I couldn't understand why they, why they accepted me like they did. And one morning, a preacher came to church and he handed out these flyers after his, after his sermon. I think it was Frank Retief, actually, a famous old preacher from Cape Town, from South Africa. And he handed out these flyers and he, he said, On these flyers is a prayer that you can pray if you want to know the Lord. We don't really minister like that anymore, handing out flyers. We usually pray with people, but he handed them out and I'm grateful for that because I took one home and I knew I just needed to pray this. I didn't even know what I was praying. I took it home, and I prayed it, and I prayed that I would know the Lord. I prayed that He would forgive me. I prayed it every day for about two weeks, and after I had finished praying, I'd look up and be like, Lord, did it work? You know, is there meant to be a light from heaven? Is there meant to be a voice or a noise? Um, am I a Christian yet? I don't know. I don't feel any change. Um, but after a, a, a few more weeks, one morning in worship, I had been singing the song like an avalanche and um, that was what the song was called it was by Hillsong and all of a sudden I was filled with this joy and this peace and for the next half an hour I was on my knees and on my face before the Lord weeping and weeping in joy in joy and in peace it was the first time I'd been crying for joy ever I don't think I'd ever cried because of joy before I always cried because of sadness or brokenness but I had this joy bubbling out of me that I could not control on that day, I decided to follow Jesus, although I think he would already decided to call me because I didn't do anything. He just rocked up, and I just encountered his presence so powerfully in that place. And that day, I gave my life to him, and God filled me with his spirit, and since then, I never looked back. And I've been called to ministry, and I've been getting prepared for ministry, and I'm still getting prepared for ministry, and now I'm here. I almost can't believe it. And that was about seven and a half years ago. And so I've changed since then. I've changed dramatically. But one thing that hasn't changed has been my church community. At times where I've struggled the most, brothers and sisters have come to my house, kicked down my door and said, James, we're going to pray with you. Don't hide away. I can easily say that without this church family, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have gotten through the last four years four years of studies i probably i don't know if i would have been following jesus till now but because of my church family they've kept me they've kept me going they've strengthened me and encouraged me daily when i've been weak and i love this church and while the teachings of this church and the preaching is so deep and rich it's the community that has raised me it's the people here who have built into my life that have raised me up as a man of God. And you see, I didn't want to follow Jesus. I didn't want to know him or follow him. But after experiencing that loving community, I knew that God was real. I knew that what they had, I needed. And I couldn't deny anymore that Jesus really loved and died for these people. And that I needed to know him as well that godly community witnessed to me in such a way that it broke down all the walls around my heart. And it still has, as you can see, because I'm still crying about what Jesus has done in my life. And that day Christ came into my life through that community. And there's a quote that I believe that sums this up quite well, also by Ed Stetzer. And it writes this about community. He says this, It is the reality of relationships that makes Christ believable to an unbelieving society. The person who is far from Christ will not come to Christ until the love of Christ has annihilated the opposing worldview upon which they depend. That is my testimony. This sums up how I was brought to Christ. I thought that life would be like this. I had it figured. I thought that I would have to live like this in order to get through life, and that the world is a hard place, and it is. When I came into this church, the community... And the love of Christ in that community annihilated everything that I thought that I knew was true. And so we come into church with hard hearts and hostile attitudes. But God's plans, that loving community, would completely destroy all of those. And at times when when my heart's still been hard as a believer, this community has softened me and has brought me back and has encouraged me to keep going. And so church, when we love each other and when we love the lost, The world will know who Jesus is this is what Jesus prays for this is his purpose for church and this is why we should meet together regularly if you aren't coming to church for this reason I pray that this would become the reason that you come that this would be the reason that you go to community often that you meet with one another regularly and so as I finish up this morning I'll ask us one more time why do you come each week why do you come and sit here? Why do you go to Bible study? Is it because your friends or family do? Maybe your mom drags you to church. That's not, that's not a bad thing. Okay, <laughs> It saved me, so I thank the Lord for that. Do you come for the coffee? Do you come for the music? And I ask young people, do you come to find a spouse? That's a real thing. <laughs> a lot of people go to churches to look for someone else. They need new hunting grounds, apparently. And all these, <laughs> it's a real thing. <laughs> why do you think Common Ground and us have exchanged so many people over the last few years? <laughs> now, all of these things are okay and they're good. But God's purpose for our gatherings is much greater. His purpose for why we should come and meet is greater. Do we as a community show Christ to the world through our love for one another and for our love for them? And I pray this morning... That all of us would come to church and meet regularly for these two reasons: to know Christ more and to show him to the world. I believe we can respond in two ways this morning as I wrap up. First way that we can respond is by echoing Jesus' prayer, the praying that we would become one, that we would be unified as a community, that we would be in we would be one and that we would be in Christ. And secondly, I believe we need to respond by obeying. By obeying Jesus' command to love one another. And to encourage one another in our walk with the Lord. And when we do this, we will all go closer to Jesus. We will all know him more. And the world will know him more as well. Can I pray for us, John? Thank you, Lord. Father God thank you for the church thank you for your son who died to purchase us thank you for bringing us together and making us one as a community i praise you this morning lord for these rich blessings that we find when we meet together father i pray this morning Wherever we are in our walk, I pray that you would empower us, strengthen us, call us to walk alongside one another, to encourage each other to keep going when things are difficult. And I pray more than anything else, Lord, that this church would love one another in a way that would show you to the world, to Cape Town, to Meadowridge. I pray for these things in your name, Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you, James. Those who are serving at the table, if you can come and join me. Something that um, has always struck me in Acts uh, chapter 2 was um, there's a word there that you'll find about the early church, and it says they were devoted. I don't know if you remember that word. Um, Interesting enough, one of the things that they were devoted to was breaking bread. They were actually devoted to what we're going to do now, although it it was slightly uh, more involved than that because it usually involved a fellowship meal as well. But what we're doing to, today is something right from, from the get-go. The early church recognized the significance and the importance of breaking bread, and I think everything that James has been talking about this morning is in a sense summed up when we come around the table, because the reason we are this different community that loves one another is because of Jesus, and it is fundamentally because of the cross, uh, and it is because our lives have been changed through our, our meeting with Him, and our uh, and, and what He has done for us. And so, as we as we break bread this morning, as we share in this communion meal, I want us to remember that our roots go right back to this, um, to what He has done. I'm here because of what He's done. You're here because of what He's done. But I want to um, maybe this morning take you into a slightly deeper part of communion. And you'll remember that um, <clears throat> the... The gospel and the Christian faith started amongst the Jews, and amongst those who were who uh, focused their attention on God, and, and uh, in Hebrews we have a very interesting picture of communion that is slightly different to the way we understand it as Gentiles, because it pictures it pictures what every Jew was familiar with, and that's once a year they would the high priest would go into the holy of holies before the lord and two things would happen the high priest would make a personal sacrifice for his own sins and then he would bring a sacrifice on behalf of the people it was called the day of atonement and what hebrews does it's, it takes that picture that every jew was familiar with and said that's only a shadow of the reality that's not the real thing the real thing is what Jesus did. And so, it speaks about, Hebrews speaks about not a Jewish high priest, but another Jewish high priest whose name is Jesus. And so, let me just read that to you, and I think you'll be quite uh, encouraged and interested in this picture. It says, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not part of this creation. In other words, when what Jesus did was not in an earthly temple, but it was being done in a heavenly temple. In a sense, what Jesus was doing when he died on the cross was in the presence of God. This was the real thing uh, that was happening. It wasn't just a shadow. And he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Jesus didn't bring a lamb. Jesus brought himself. He became the offering himself. The blood of goats and bulls. the living God. And here's the big difference. What the Jewish high priest did every year was only an external cleansing, because you would be externally unclean. But what Jesus did, he cleaned us up on the inside. He did what no Jewish high priest could ever do. That conscience, that shame, that guilt that, we, that carried on from year to year and year to year, when Jesus died, Dealt with that once and for all. You know what's so great this morning, that we can come to the Lord with a clean conscience, without condemnation, and to know the price has been eternally paid. It will never be done again. What He did is sufficient. And so, as we thank the Lord for His body that was broken, want us to remember that what He was doing was not just something on earth. He was doing something eternal. He's doing something that would never need to be done ever again because what Christ has done is eternally sufficient. So I'm going to ask you as we, we bow and pray and give thanks for the bread, we remember that Jesus took a piece of bread and he broke it like this. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. But he wasn't doing it as a human high priest. He was doing it as our heavenly high priest his body was broken before the Father, and he took upon himself the judgment and the wrath that we deserve. And so we're going to pray together. So let's bow our heads as we pray and give thanks for that.